Church, how we doing? We doing okay? Merry Christmas. It's good to see you guys. I'm Scott Weatherford. So many of you are guests, and we're glad to have you. Uh, we've been in this series looking for Christmas, and I find myself on Christmas Eve looking for my voice. So you'll just have to bear with me with that. So we're really glad you're here. Are you glad you're here? Yeah, turn around and tell your neighbor, I'm really glad I'm here. Will you do that and just say Merry Christmas or, <clears throat> excuse me, you're amongst friends here. We're, we're really delighted you're here. I have a tendency, now for some of you who don't you know, normally hear, you really don't know who I am, but I have a tendency to be a bit gregarious. Now, some of y'all don't know what gregarious means. It's not contagious, okay, but a bit outgoing, a bit gregarious. And so the other day I walk into our, my daughter's house, Kayla, and she has two little girls, Ivy and Lily. And I walked in, burst in the doors with, ho, 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 Merry Christmas. Immediately with, greet, greeted with, Papa, the baby's asleep. <laughs> so a little while later in that same visit, um, you guys know about Bucky's. Have y'all ever been to Bucky's? Like Bucky's is the best place in the world. When, when people come to see us in Texas, I take them to two places. We go to the Alamo and we go to Bucky's because that is that, that kind of place. But Bucky's has a t-shirt this year that says, do you recall the most famous beaver of all? And it's got a picture of Bucky. So I started singing a song about Bucky the buck tooth beaver had a very shiny tooth. And if you ever saw it, okay, there's more, but, um, but I won't sing it for you. You have to, you know, come extra for that. But I was singing that, and Ivy goes, no, Papa, that's the wrong words. It's corrected by a two-year-old. So I was looking for some love from Papa, the baby sleeping. Papa, that's the wrong words. And maybe you're here tonight with your family, and you'd like to find some love. Maybe your whole goal is to survive the next two days and go back to where you were. But nonetheless, we're all looking for Christmas and we're looking for something more than we're experiencing. I read something not too long ago that was very disturbing to me. It seems like that when Franco was the dictator of Spain, he installed a practice that was, I would say, just crazy. He would um, take the children from his political rivals and sell them to families of his supporters. Of course, being a dictator, you do what he wanted to. And he did those things. And when Franco fell out of power, the church, doctors, hospitals, the government, lawyers continued the practice, but with an economic twist. They would tell parents their children had died at childbirth only to sell them to other parents. This practice ended in 1980. From the 30s to the 80s, this practice was fairly common in Spain. What impressed me was one dad who was told his child, his son had died in childbirth in 1977. When this came to light, this father went back to the artifacts, to the archives, and found every baby boy born on that day in 1977 to track them down. He said, I wanted my son to know he has a daddy who loves him and who will not quit 
looking for him. Folks, that's the message of Christmas. We have a daddy God who loves us and who is going to be relentless in finding us. This God of ages that is so misrepresented by so many forces and causes, and, but he loves us deeply and he loves us supremely. So here on this Christmas Eve, I thought, what can I say? And this is, I don't believe it or not, my 36th or 37th Christmas Eve service. What can I say to you? So I decided we were gonna focus on one simple passage of scripture, probably the most famous passage of scripture in the Bible, other than Psalm 23, actually the most famous from the New Testament. It's from a pastor, written by a pastor by the name of John. John pastored a church in Asia Minor. A part of his congregation, get this, was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Can you imagine the pressure preaching to her every week? Mary, the mother of Jesus. And John wrote, under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, his gospel, the book of John, to explain who Jesus really is as God. And then later, he would write three other, what's called epistles, where he would describe how living for Jesus should be carried out by those who follow Jesus. Who Jesus is, and how do you live for him? Why did he do that? Because he's a pastor, and he loved his people. He pastored a well, uh, an ethnically diverse church there in Asia Minor. It was made of Jewish people who had converted from Judaism to Christianity. He ministered to Greeks who had, who had left their false gods and come in to find the one true living God in Jesus Christ. And he did so magnificently. So tonight we're gonna look at John three sixteen, a passage of scripture, and we're gonna hold it up like a diamond to the light and look at all the beautiful facets of that. And I believe we're gonna find what we're looking for as we look for Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you wanna to say to us tonight. And I pray that you will speak through me, that you'll customize this talk to these people that are listening or watching. And I pray that you will communicate to them with such depth and clarity that no one will leave this room the same. Thank you for how good you are, how great you are, how faithful you are, how loving you are, how relentlessly seeking you are. We want to be found by you. And we pray this all in Christ's strong name. Amen. If you got a bulletin, you got a, a, a place to take notes and take the weekend with you, I invite you to take those out. You might want to jot some things down, some things you might want to remember or take with you or quote later. I encourage you to do that. We also have tons of other resources available on our website. Uh, if you'll go to fbcwimberly.com, there's sermon archives there. There's other group materials there. Uh, the devotionals we've written are there. You can, uh, you can access all those materials, that we've extra materials we've provided for you on our website. And why do we do that? Because we love you and we want to encourage you. This church exists to build lives and honor God, and we take that very, very seriously. But let's look at this passage. Let me quote it for you. I'm going to quote using the New American Standard Version of the Bible. There's lots of versions out there, but I'm going to quote this version. Just listen to me while I quote it for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That phrase, his only begotten son, is an interesting phrase. Literally, in the Greek, it says, 
the unique one, the one that no one else is like. He gave the unique one. The most dynamic person in history was Jesus Christ. The most dynamic communicator that ever lived was Jesus Christ. Talk about a personality that could fill the room. Well, he could fill the universe. Jesus Christ, that God gave the unique one, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And I want you to take the word perish, and I want you just to set it high on this shelf over here in your mind, because we're gonna come back to that. This week as I was writing this talk, I thought about the word perish a lot. And really, it was a unique word chosen. Why was that word chosen? Because I think there's meaning in that word tonight for you and me that maybe change the course of our life. But let's look at this piece by piece. First of all, for God so loved. Later in John's epistle, he would describe God as love. He would say God is love. Uh, the great song, I think it was Journey or Foreigner or Kansas or Leonard Skinner or somebody sang the song, I want to know what love is. And I would sing that for you right now, but my voice is a little raspy. I don't think I could hit the high notes. But love is God. God's love is everlasting. Now, when you, I have a trouble with this concept of everlasting. How long is everlasting? I think about this. The Lord God, the uncreated one, loved me before time began. Before the fruit had crunched in the Garden of Eden, Jesus Christ had loved me and left for the cross of Calvary. And he will love me throughout eternity. His love is everlasting. And his love is everlasting for you. There hasn't been, I get this, get this, y'all. There hasn't been a time in your life that God has not loved you. <laughs> you say, well, what about college? There hasn't been a time in your life that God has not loved you. His love is everlasting. His love is conditional. Now, we say we love unconditionally. I'll say that I love Tara, my wife. I love her unconditionally. But do I? Most of my motivation of love for her is based on whether or not she makes me happy or meets my needs, right? Well, the unconditional love of my wife causes me to do things that are unconditional. Like yesterday, we went to two targets. One target was not enough. We went to the New Braunfels target and uh, guys, girls, you don't listen to this, but guys, you know when your wife asks your opinion, she really doesn't want it. Did you know that? What do you think about this rug? Your best question is, what do you think about this rug? What do you think about these draperies? We're, we've moved into this, this house, and, and we're redoing the, the draperies. And what, what do you think about this? And it's conditional. We, we love conditionally. And I, I was afraid there was a third target in sight because I heard there's one in Kyle, thankfully. San Marcos in New Braunfels was enough. And thank the Lord, a target has yet to open at Dripping Springs. But we love conditionally. 
God loves unconditionally. That God doesn't look at your title, your pedigree. He doesn't look at your ancestry. I think this is kind of crazy. Uh, this is just me. I see all these advertisements today about, you know, finding out your ancestry and finding out your DNA. I already know what crazy is. I don't need to go deeper into crazy. You know, swab this and find out you're related to somebody. They've probably been incarcerated for a long time. I don't want to know that. But God loves us unconditionally. But here's the last thing I want to throw at you. Get this. God loves you relentlessly. Relentlessly. Eternally everlasting, unconditional, but relentlessly pursuing you. Down the corridors and the twisted turns of your life, God is saying, I love you. I don't love some future form of you. I love you. And I love you right now. And I love you so much that I'll accept you where you are. But I love you so much I won't leave you where you are. I will change your heart. I will change your mind. I will change your character. I'll give you life. For God so loved. We love the world. The next facet we look at is how God loved the world. And that sounds really kind of sweet. Jesus loves the little children, all the little children of the world. And then we break into the creepy color thing. But the truth is, he does love the world. But he loves you personally. You know one of Satan's favorite things is to tell you, yeah, God loves everybody in the world, but you, you are a loser. Look what you've done. Look what you said. Look what you've become. He loves all of us. God loves us so greatly that he's willing to confront the cultures of this world. You know, when you're a little kid, people ask you, who do you love? You go, I just love everybody. And as you get to adults, you go, I just love some people. <laughs> God loves all of us. Loves the world. God loves Aggie fans. God loves Texas fans. God loves whatever that is. Texas Tech. I'm sorry, Red Raiders. Yeah, y'all going to get that right. Get that right. Get that right. In Red Raiders. You know, I find myself, sometimes I'm judgmental. Y'all ever judgmental? I'm the only one judgmental? Well, we'll have a series on lying next year, okay? I was watching one of the good morning shows, and uh, I'm a Florida State grad, graduated from Florida State, and our arch enemy is the Florida Nasty Lizard Gators. And we just don't like them. And the people from Gainesville, we don't, we don't like them. We say things like, what has 80, 187,000 legs and four teeth? Home games at Florida Field. That's what we say. Some of y'all missed that. But anyway, I was watching the show, and there was some people standing there with an umbrella with the big gator logo on it. And this year, I thought, that's disgusting. Why would anybody want to have that out in public? God loves gators because he loves the world. God loves enough to confront the cultures of this world. And he confronts them with his love. 
we watched a long video about Mexico and how God loves so much that he sent people into Mexico to share his love. And we financially support that. I think that's pretty cool. But I've encountered some cultures in this world that just like made my head hurt. Not long ago, Tara and I were in Penang, Malaysia. And we're there for a Hindu festival. Well, we weren't there for the festival. We were there to do something else. That just didn't go very well. Went better at the two other times I told it. But anyway, we're there and there was a Hindu festival going on. That's what I meant to say. Called the Taipusin. And the Taipusin is a celebration of sacrifice to one of their many gods. And what they would do, they would take a milk offering and they would walk up this very steep hill to a temple they had erected on top of this hill and they would pour the milk, they'd put it on a head a headdress, pour the milk in the river, turning the river white. And that's how they appeased their God. That's how they made peace with their God. That's how they kept karma from smacking them by their God. What's really interesting, these ornate headpieces they had on were attached to their bodies by hooks in their skin. Some of the participants in the Taipusin parade had taken a spear and stuck it through their cheeks to show how serious they were about the appeasement of their false god. And Tara and I stood in that sea of people watching that and I couldn't help but think that God loves those people and he wants to free them from that debauchery. We've been in Cambodia looking at upstream solutions to human trafficking, conversations with, with people who are working with young girls, 12, 13, 14 years old, who their parents have sold them to Western tourists for their pleasure, and it's normal for their culture. Did you know there's 28 million slaves in the world today? More slaves in the world today than ever in human history. God loves so much the world that he sent the church to rescue those in bondage. He stands in the face of culture he stands in the face of false belief. You see, God's into love. He's not into karma. He loves so greatly. There's no limit to a certain people group. And sometimes we think God is the God of the white person. But God is the God of all people. In fact, the Bible says every nation, every tribe, every tongue will proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And if you don't like multicultural environments, you're going to hate heaven. And I suspect there's going to be some pretty good Mexican food there, awesome Camb uh, Cambodian Thai food there. I, I think there's probably going to be some, some Logman from the, the Vigor group in Kazakhstan where I've been there. I think there's going to be a great diversity of music there because God loves the nations. God loves the world, but let me bring it back to this. He loves you. He loves Wimberley. He loves Texas. And how can God show his people, show his love when there's so much disaster and so much evil? Doesn't that just contradict God's love? 
Oh, no, my friend. The broken nature of humanity and the broken nature of nature gives opportunity for God's love to be displayed. Look at the response from Harvey. This church alone invested over $100,000 in caring for people from the disaster of Harvey, and it continues. It's an opportunity in the face of disaster. That he gave us only son, the unique one. You see, love is just a palitude until it's displayed. It's just words. We say, I love you. And it's just words. I've got this cool new phone. I wanted to get an iPhone 10, but I couldn't afford it, so I got an iPhone 8. Anybody have an iPhone 8? Raise your hand, confess. Anybody got a 10? Anybody got an iPhone 10? Nobody's raising their hands because nobody's that, like, not going to buy an iPhone 10. This is a legit thing. Do you know the iPhone 10, you could talk to an emoji and it will use your voice and talk back? I love that. My favorite emoji is like the, the little poo guy. I would talk to everybody with that emoji. I probably just confessed too much. But on the iPhone 8, I, uh, I could send a text message with a fax. So the other night, I was in one room, and Tara was in the other room, and she was busy doing something. I was busy being lazy, and I text her, I love you. And I went to the effects, and it did laser lights. Your laser lights. She opened it, and she goes, yeah, Whatever. Because her, me saying I love you, is a palitude. Me hanging the curtains in all the bedrooms is love in action, y'all. It has to be displayed. Love is just noise until it's enacted. God demonstrated his love for us. While we were sinners, Christ died. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that his love magnanimous as it is, was displayed on the cross. And he gave himself for us. You see, Jesus is the acceptable sacrifice. The participants in Taipusin were trying to appease their God with their sacrifice. So our God appeased himself with himself on our behalf. We do not have to mutilate our bodies or lay out a sacrifice of our self-effort, we have a God who says, I have made you right by myself dying in your place. All you have to do is come to me. What? Do we, like, got to do something? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. it got to be a clause to that. Calls upon the name of the Lord and endure bad preaching for 40 years. No. He is the God who stepped from the realm of deity to the realm of humanity and died in your place. I don't understand it. But I do understand that Christmas is about the cross and not about a manger. 
For without the cross, there would be no Christmas. Do do y'all have people in your life that are always kind of like the history buffs and they're going, well, you know, we really don't know the actual date of Christmas. So we probably ought not to celebrate Christmas. Because, you know, it was made up by Constantine. You have any people like that in your life? I do. And I was talking to a guy that day, don't know the real, it's just something. I'm going, hey, stop, buddy, stop, stop. Did you know that Easter, he goes, yeah, that's something from Esther, the Mesopotamian goddess of fertility. I said, ah, no. It's from the German word, Uster, which means Passover. That's what it's from. Oh. Well, that's not what the internet said. <gasps> Wikipedia could be wrong. Easter is perhaps the most accurate date of ancient history we have. And without Easter, there would be no Christmas. Because had not Christ died and rose again, what would we celebrate? Nothing. Nothing. Because God gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever, that means you, believes in him. Believing in him, get this, y'all. We study Jesus, but do we follow him? We sing about Jesus, but have we surrendered to him? And believing in him is not just an intellectual understanding our emotional response. It's the collision of the heart and the head that generates to the hands of actions of generosity. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth. I believe with my mind. I accept with my heart. It's the I will decision. I will live for King Jesus. And when I choose to live all for Jesus, my life is then transformed. Formed. Conversation right before we came up. I'm not going to call any names we were talking to. It was Josanne. We talked about moving. And I said, you know, we'll never move again unless the Lord says, because when you say yes to Jesus, you give up your rights. That's kind of scary, isn't it? You see, there's more to death than dying. And Jesus said that you'll not perish. Do you know you could be dead while you're alive? Living your own way, living for your own thing. You're lost in your, you're lost in your trespasses. You're lost in your sins. And you're dead. And you're perishing. And Jesus says, come to me so you won't perish. So you can thrive in this life. You thrive in this life conversation with the 96-year-old man the other day. He said, I've never died, but I'm not scared. My father-in-law with cancer, I would go through this again to know Jesus like I know him now. My dad laying on his deathbed said, it ain't nothing but a little dying because they were not perishing, but they were living even in the face of eternity. 
This life, my friend, is just preparation for the next. When you hear I'm dead, don't believe it. I'll be more alive than I've ever been. Now, Dan, when I die, don't keep playing my sermons on the internet, okay? Just let them go. <laughs> Jay Vernon McGee's been dead 50 years, and I still hear him preaching on the radio. Which time let Jay Vernon go be with Jesus <laughs> and leave us alone? God doesn't want you to struggle. He wants you to thrive. He wants to bless your heart. He wants to bless your life. He wants to infuse you with his peace and his power. You know, one of the greatest Christmas gifts you could probably get today is some hope and peace. Would you like to sit around the tree tomorrow with your dysfunctional family and your weird uncle and you open up a box of peace? Woo! Just what I needed. Just my size. Mama, what'd you get? I got me some hope. Hope on a rope. I got a little love in this box. I got some joy. I got some Jesus. Because he wants me to live and not perish and live forever because of the cross. And this is the gift of life now and to live forever. And this, my friend, is Christmas. I'm so impressed with the, the Spanish Daddy, who looked for his boy. In fact, I know how he feels. 1987, Tara and I were living in Jacksonville, Florida, where I was the minister of music and youth, a terrible combination. Dan, that's how you started here, music and youth. Isn't that a terrible combination? Sean doesn't want to share with you now, so you just got to stay where you are, okay? We were serving this church and. Our son Caleb was about 18 months old, and Tara was pregnant with Caleb. And we were in this huge mall in Jacksonville. It was a, it was a mall, it was a mile long. It's called Regency Square Mall, huge mall. We were in the mall, and uh, we were looking at things. You know, we were in a sporting goods store, and I was playing competitive softball. Probably shouldn't have been doing that, but I was doing that. I was still in my 20s, and I was playing softball, and um, I was looking at bats. Because, you know, you needed the advantage. The, the, the kind of softball teams I played on, you tried to hit the ball far enough where you didn't have to run. So, you know, that's the kind of softball I was playing. And Caleb was standing there with me, and Caleb's always loved his mother. They, they're always, that's, that's their thing. And he looked at me, and he was already talking. He was 18 months old. He said, Daddy, I want my mama. And I said to him, like a, a, a well-intentioned, wise father, and I said, well, she's at the front of the store. Go find her. He's 18 months old. This is dumb as a stick. No, this is dumber than a stick. So he toddles off, and I'm looking at bats. And a few minutes later, I walk up to Terrence and goes, hey, where's Caleb? He's with you. I told him, come find you. She goes, you're the dumbest man on the face of the earth. Our baby is lost. And he was. He wandered out into the mall. And we lost him. Now, he's at the house right now, so we, we know where he is now, okay? <laughs> but I walked out in the mall, and for the longest 10 minutes of my life, I could not find my boy. And, and it was my fault. And I was dying. Tara had a kind of combination emotion going on of being terrified and murderous at the same time. 
three little junior high boys, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, somewhere around there. They came up and said, Mister, what's wrong? I said, our little boy's gone. We've lost him. Said, we'll find him. Off they went. Ten minutes later, they came walking down the mall holding Caleb's hand. I said, where did you find him? said, he was down at Spencer's Gifts looking in the window. Awesome, just the influence we wanted for our 18-month-old. But I was so grateful. A boy had been found. I didn't have much money, but I gave those kids everything I had. And I loved my boy, and I held my boy, and I still love my boy. He's not a boy anymore. He's a man. I love my son. And I know exactly how God feels about you. Because he doesn't want you to be lost. He doesn't want you to be away from him. He wants you to know you have a daddy. And he loves you. And that, my friend, is what Christmas is all about. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to speak your truth to these people. And I pray, Father, that they will be different because they've heard from you. We'll never fully understand why you chose to do what you did by coming to live among us. You've been promising it since the garden, and you did it. And we beheld your glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth, the unique one, you, Lord Jesus Christ. And all you want from us is for us to believe. So I pray tonight, Father, everyone under the sound of my voice, whether they're here in this room or listening online, will choose to believe, will choose to accept. Folks, your heads are bowed, and perhaps some of you, for the first time in your life, you need to call upon the name of the Lord because he's come looking for you, and tonight he has found you, and you have found him. Come home. You do that by praying a simple prayer. This is it. Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I'm yours. I give my life to you. Thank you for dying for me and being raised again. I believe in you. Be my savior. Jesus, I'm yours. If you just prayed that prayer with me, then Jesus just did what you asked. Merry Christmas. For some of you, perhaps you've grown cold and indifferent. Perhaps your education has outstripped your capacity to feel the emotion of the love of God. Come home. Because he loves you relentlessly. Come home. Why would God do what he did? Because he loves us. Father, thank you that you chose the strange way to save us, to set us free. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen.